Oh, hey, girl. It's Tess Rouse and Christina Beattie. We're the co-hosts and creators of Authentically Wild. A podcast that may literally transform your understanding about life, relationships, and your healing journey. So get ready, girl. Shit's about to get wild. We've all been there where you think you've healed through something, but you still feel the weight of it. Or maybe it rears its ugly head when you least expect it. Perhaps it was a breakup with the person you thought was the one, a big confrontation with a family member, maybe even abuse or an isolated traumatic event in your life. One of the reasons for this is that we can't talk our way out of trauma. We have to feel it and process it. And this is why body work is so critical to your healing journey. On today's episode, we're going to talk about why body work is so critical in your healing journey, diving deep into somatic therapy, EMDR, breathwork, and others, while, as usual, sharing our personal accounts. Most of us are aware that forms of talk therapy, which are great, but if you truly want to process and free yourself from the past and traumatic experiences or situations, body work is essential for this. So let's jump in. Hey girl. Hey. (laughs) This one's heavy. This one's heavy. Yeah. But really, really important. Yes. I feel the same feelings I felt before like the mother wound one, which Mm. was a big one as well. So yeah. Yeah, Cause I think that sometimes these pieces, it's like, we don't actually realize how important it is to understand or talk about. And then we do. And it's like, it's almost a remembrance, like a deep remembrance within us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe even just saying that we want to caveat today's episode that as in our style, we are mm-hmm. sharing personal accounts of, you know, past traumas that um, have happened for Christina and I that require body work um, to really process and, and move forward from. And so there will be parts in this episode where we talk about abuse, whether that be physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. And so if that is a trigger for you, uh, perhaps don't listen to this until you're in a good headspace. And obviously, if you're currently going through a trauma, it's always recommended to seek professional help. This is really just us sharing our experience and what has helped us thus far on our journey. And both of us have used therapists uh, in the past, you know, when dealing acutely with an incident. And this is, I think, also complementary to that. So if you're dealing with something that's really traumatic, please reach out to the correct professionals uh, to to help you and guide you through that, as as well as listening to this episode if, if you feel you're ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say just to add to that, you know, Tess, you and I, we spoke about that it can feel really scary to share these pieces. I know certainly for myself, I question, do I share it? Do I say it? I don't want to trigger someone. But at the end of the day, one of the most important things to me is helping other people not feel alone and feel connected and feel seen and for you to know that you are not alone in the things that you experience. So while yes, some of the content in this might be triggering, I think it's really, really important for us to talk about. Yeah. Well said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, we'll we'll start off a bit lighter. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm putting on my my uh, neuroscientist hat today, and we want to chat about really the science behind the brain-body connection, because like I said in the intro, you cannot talk your way out of trauma. While talk therapy, I, I have found to be beneficial, I have found that there's always a part of what I've experienced that's still left within me. And I think it's really important that we understand the foundations to how trauma actually gets stored in the body so that then later in this episode, when we talk to you about somatic work and somatic therapies, you understand why those are so different than talk therapy and why they're so critical. And if you've experienced trauma in the past or a really traumatic experience and you haven't quite moved through it, but you've done all the talk therapy or journaling, you might really understand this critical element then that you've been missing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're going to touch on this obviously through the personal experiences that we share after this, but I will say to add to that, moving the energy in my body. Yeah. You can talk about it all you want, but you really got to get in there and move it as well because it just stores inside of you, which I'm sure you'll probably explain to us very well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when we experience trauma, there is a specific part of our brain, which is in direct connection with our body uh, that gets triggered. It's called our amygdala. Everyone's probably heard of it if they've taken any biology 10, 11, or 12 class. So the amygdala is what's also referred to as the reptilian brain. It is the one of the oldest systems that is still around throughout human evolution. Why? Because it does a really good job at keeping us alive. (laughs) So it is the center that is responsible for fight, flight, or there's also a third option uh, more recently in research called freeze, Mm -hmm. so i.e. survival. It is innate, it's animalistic, and like I just said, it's done a really good job, which is why it has not been retired from human evolution. The tricky part with this is that we don't have direct control over it. So it's set up like that, though, for a reason. If you think about it, If you touch a hot stove and you're burning your fingers, you don't want to have to think about that it's painful and then pull your fingers away. It's autonomic. It's instant. It's instinctual. That's what that part of our brain does. It keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. So when something triggers the amygdala, it's like a domino effect within the body. Imagine it being like the computer of the body. That's what it controls. It then triggers the hypothalamus, which is in direct connection to the body, which begins all the chemical and hormonal reactions to whatever that stimuli is that just happened within your environment. So things like our heart rate adjusts, our breathing rate, our blood sugars begin to change. We even start like sweating. And so you can see how this is the body getting us geared up for fight, flight, or freeze. And so all of this occurs before we consciously in our talking and thinking brains, the prefrontal cortex, have even realized what's happening. All of this is done within split seconds. And so, you know, we think, oh, if uh, let's just say we were in like a narcissistic relationship and then we, you know, we're going to deal with someone else who's like has narcissistic tendencies. I'll just, you know, tell myself to calm down. I, I won't get triggered by it. The problem is, is that our body overrides our logical thinking brain, our mm-hmm. self-awareness parts of our brain well before we even get a split second to think about it. So survival can't be hijacked by rational thinking. Okay. Mm. And so when we think back to trauma, basically trauma imprints on the body 
So when we are exposed to similar sensory stimuli, whether that be, let's say, a confrontation, someone yelling at you, maybe it's a hand on your shoulder, a specific environment, or interacting with a specific type of person, maybe that you've never met before, uh, but that triggers our fear and survival response center. Basically, what it does is it goes, "Uh uh-oh, going into the database this is a very similar stimuli than we experienced. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was 10 years ago, 30 years ago. Okay. What did we do then? Okay. We fought back. Okay. We froze. Okay. Reenact same sequence because that Mm -hmm. kept us alive then. And that's what will keep us alive now. So we all think that like we can talk ourselves out of this because we realize in the moment, like we're not in immediate danger. Mm -hmm. However, trauma is not stored with the whole story. It's very fragmented. And so our bodies don't understand that, oh, yeah, maybe you were in an abusive relationship uh, in your young 20s. And now you're in a safe relationship and your partner just got angry. It doesn't understand that this is a different person now and they're just having a bad day. Our bodies don't understand that. And so this also makes sense. Like, is this why we get triggered sometimes when we have a certain smell or we see something and we're like, thousand percent, and we get like a visual that comes back. 1,000 percent. So when someone experiences trauma, specifically repeated trauma, whether that be emotional, physical, etc., two things begin to happen. This is where I'm going to leave this off, is we begin what we call fear learning, which is where we, a process where we develop an association between a certain situation or stimuli and fear. So that's exactly what you're talking about there. Now we smell the smell instantly. We think we don't think we feel fear and the body begins its its domino effect. And two, with repeated trauma, what it can do to our nervous system, and we've talked about this in a previous episode, is it sends it into dysregulation. But when it's repeated, we can get stuck there in a state of parasympathetic, like overdrive. And that's really where trauma can shock our nervous system into not going back into a regulated state. And so these are people that, you know, that are constantly doing their constant anxiety, constant stress. It's because their body has learned, like we are always in a state of fear in survival and they get stuck there. And so when we talk later today about body work, body work, somatic therapy is one of the ways we get unstuck and get out of that. It's interesting because it really makes me think about how, I mean, my whole life, I think I was in a dysregulated state and I didn't Mm -hmm. realize it. I really didn't realize it until it got to the point where I couldn't ignore it. Yeah. And that's usually how it happens, right? Our bodies can only take that for so many years or decades in some people's cases, right? And then we begin to literally physically feel the ailments, whether that be like panic attacks blood pressure, just right, like chronic disease. Like we've talked about this too, how trauma manifests in the body through like physical ailments. So, you know, mm-hmm. not to say that it's always that, but for the most part, you know, the mental health piece of things and excavating your trauma, as much as it sounds painful, it's really, I think what sets you free and allows your body to go back to this like homeostasis sort of phase that it's really meant to be in. Yes. Yeah. And so in a sense, we could look at this work as coming home to our bodies, right? And, and reconnecting our body, or or I guess in a sense, reintegrating our body and our mind and our heart and our soul and all of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when I think about trauma that I've experienced, or even I think just learning about this too, there's this disassociation that occurs 
where we break off, or at least I experienced this, where I broke off from my body because maybe what I was experiencing wasn't safe or I couldn't fully process it in my body. And for the rest of my life, I've been in my head for so long, mm-hmm. just anxiety and intrusive thoughts. And I believe that we don't even realize sometimes we're doing it. For sure. I mean, I'm guilty of it. You definitely are as well. But you know, you see people who can't sit still, mm-hmm. like stillness. And I think stillness provides our body an opportunity to communicate to us. Like, you know, if you're busy running around all day and then you finally sit down and you're like, wow, my back, like that didn't come out of nowhere. You actually were just so disconnected from your body all day. You never felt it until you gave your body a second to have like a clear channel to communicate to you. Right. And so what I like to think of is our body is connected to us, like through our minds, whatever, by like this, almost this giant cable of, of fibers. And every time we don't listen to our body, like, Ooh, that person made me uncomfortable or, Ooh, we should really say this right now. Or I have to go to the bathroom right now, but no, I'm going to keep working because like I'm on a deadline. It's like we slowly sever every little fiber until eventually we're so disconnected from our body. Like we can't even tune in. Mm. Right. And so I do think like body work too, is almost like repairing and rebuilding that cable of thousands and thousands of fibers. Like every time you don't listen to your body, whether that be like an emotional boundary or even like, yeah, getting up to eat when you're hungry, you're telling yourself like, you're not important. We're not important. Our body's not important. Whatever else we're doing externally is is by doing that. A hundred percent. And it makes me think of this saying, like the truth shall set you free. Cause like, yeah, every single time you talk about something that maybe is uncomfortable or you speak your truth or you live in your truth, there is so much, like there's, there's an energy to that. It's, it's, you're embodying an energy. Yeah. This actually might be a nice opportunity to kind of talk about our own experiences, really starting to reconnect to our bodies and, and move through some pieces. And I will say this to start for anyone who's listening. We said this at the beginning, but I will, I will mention it again, like trigger warning, because I am going to talk about some pieces here around sexual trauma and um, what I've experienced. And so if this is uh, a triggering experience for you, or you're not ready to go there, I would say just fast forward. Or if you feel like you are ready to go there, maybe this might be a step on your healing path for you to hear and experience this piece. So, uh, and I, Tessie and I have talked about this a little bit of like, okay, how does this show up in the body? Like when our body is really trying to tell us something. And uh, it's interesting because I'll work with clients sometimes and they'll be like, well, I feel like maybe I've got, I've experienced something and the memory's not coming. Um, or I don't know how to tell if there's something that I'm trying to dig into. Like, how do I find out what that is? And I'm a firm believer that our body helps us remember when we're ready mm-hmm. for our journey. And this was definitely the case for me because I would say about a year and a half ago, I got this memory back uh, and it really just came through when I was in a deep meditative state of having a sexual, a traumatic sexual experience with a neighbor. Um, and I was quite young and it was the first time I'd ever had this recollection of this memory. Um, and you know, I'm not going to go into details, but it really took me by surprise because I was like, 
what is going on here? I didn't, I didn't know where this was coming from. It was the first time I've ever, I'd ever recollected it. And at that time I was like, okay, I'm going to put this here. I know it's something that at some point I'm going to have to dig into. I'm just not ready yet. Mm-hmm. And then over the course of this year, you know, Tess, I've spoken to you about this. It's come up in different pieces and I've kind of looked at it, but more recently in like the last three months, I've really started to dig into this. And there was one point where I was getting this session done by uh, a male physiotherapist at the time who I'd built a really strong relationship with over the years. He had done a lot of work for me um, and he positioned my body in a way where all of a sudden I was flooded with all of this, like my, my body just was flooded with this information of like, this is not safe. And it took me back to what I now know was that memory. Um, and it was like my body, it was frozen. I couldn't move. And I know I explained this to you. It was a very scary feeling. And I can now see through like the work, the somatic work and my better understanding of it, that my body was in freeze mode. And it was in survival. And and a great way that I think about this is like when an animal is being uh, attacked and it knows that it has no other way out, it plays dead to save itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what my body was doing on a very deep primal level. My body was like saving me. It was like my mind was still there, but my body could not move. And my physiotherapist wasn't doing anything to me. It was just the way in which my body was positioned. And I mean, he probably could have been a bit practiced more professional skills in terms of like setting up the situation a little bit better. But there was a great example of my body re- remembering and, sh- and sending this very strong message of something deeper within me um, that I've, you know, started to really look at and, and heal through. And something I'm going to kind of explain a little bit later too, is like how this has really had an effect on so many other pieces. But sometimes we don't even know that this stuff is within us Mm -hmm. um, until we do. Yeah. And well, kudos to you for like having the vulnerability and transparency to share that because it's not an easy thing to talk about Mm. with people, never mind on a podcast. Um, But, you know, I think that's such a good example of where different person, different relationship, most likely not in danger but the body doesn't know the whole story, right? Mm-hmm. And it took one position or one wrong touch and you're fully back there. And, you know, you you alluded to the fact that you were quite young. And so imagine like as a child in an abusive situation, whether that's physical or sexual, yeah, there is nothing you can do. Mm-hmm. You're not really going to fight. You're not going to run. You're kind of just like, oh, this is a, you know, someone I'm supposed to trust, an adult person. And so no wonder your body, again, talking back to the beginning about the foundational science behind it is like, okay, memory bank, what did we do then? We survived, we do that again here, Mm. right? Even though logically in your brain, you know that you're an adult now, you have different powers and strengths, et cetera. But until we've reprogrammed and healed that piece, our body doesn't know the whole story. It doesn't realize the present from the past. So we elicit the same response we did back then now. Yeah. Wow. That actually, there was like a huge piece there that connected when you were like, yeah, your body does the same thing to survive because in that moment where, and this is really, this is where I just find this stuff so fascinating that, you know, sure. We don't ask for these things to happen, but 
I think as our lives go on, if pieces aren't healed within us, we do subconsciously recreate some of these situations or our energy calls it in for us to be able to heal through it. Yes. Right. Absolutely. But there's, yeah. And there's some, there's empowerment in that, but also great opportunity, but also like, ugh. And I think, you know, we, again, like you said, like we don't consciously choose it, but I think we also like, we always want the opportunity to rewrite the story. And I think when you can do that excavation, that healing work, it actually allows you to change the ending of those things, right? Because life's full of challenges, life's full of danger too. Uh, But it's now being able to access and use those tools in a different way that maybe you didn't have then, right? Which allows us that different ending. So, yeah. It just made me think there just about like the little person in us, right? Who deserves that ending, you know, and this is where I think reprogramming work is so interesting because it's not actually about changing the memory. It's about reprogramming our experience with it. Yeah. And so the thing still happens. The thing that we experience, it's like, we can't go back and change that. But I think the healing comes when we heal our experience with it. Yes, exactly. In relation to this piece that I think subconsciously we call in these situations as an opportunity to heal these deeper pieces, I can definitely see, you know, and this was one memory that, that came back actually just this morning that I was explaining to you. And again, I feel like our body, like these pieces within us get unlocked when it feels safe to let them be unlocked. It feels safe, like we're ready to hold them because there was another part of this memory that came back of the neighbor leaving without saying anything. And I can see that in so many of the relationships that I've had, especially with men, has been me wanting to create an opportunity for me to have that man explain better or see my experience or validate me or, but, but in a lot of cases, not that they leave, but you know, they'll, they'll quickly end a conversation or they won't give me what I need, or they can't hold that situation or validate my experience. And I can see that in so many of those, it has been me on a deeper level, wanting to heal that, Mm -hmm. that sort of traumatic experience of just being left in the dust or like not being held in whatever that was, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we chatted a bit about how, unless you know this and know this work about getting to the root and and somatically, like how you can access those memories that maybe you have no conscious recollection of. It's like, we, we spend a lot of time at the surface dealing with the present experience. Like, oh, well, my current boyfriend or whatever was like sniffed me off or ghosted me or whatever it was. Like you're just giving a whole bunch of examples there. But if we just stayed at that surface, again, you'd just be called like you more of those same situations would call in. And if you see, I guess, for listeners, a pattern of the same type of environment, situation, dialogue occurring in your life, it's because you're not going deep enough. You're not actually getting to the root incident, memory, trauma, problem. And that's why it keeps getting recreated. So for you, I think like you've had this big aha moment where you're like, ah, okay, it's not about boundaries for me. It's not about these other things. It's about this specific isolated incident, which really was the root of all of it. And I've been searching for that 
those answers than to hold that space for me since that began. And so like you kind of eradicate the root, the rest of it, you kind of break the pattern. Kudos to you for like continuing on that journey because it's not one for the faint of heart. Yeah. And it doesn't end. (laughs) No, it'll just be a different pattern. (laughs) I got to the root. Oh, wait. This is a big tree. <laughs> There's lots of roots, but right. no, yeah. And I and I think you're right. Like, oh, and then that's like such a core of the work that I do too with clients. It's like you have to get to the root. Mm-hmm. And yeah, your triggers, great window in. Your patterns, even better. But like mm-hmm. you got to get down there. And when you can get down there, that's when things start to shift. It's mm-hmm. like I think about a garden. You got all these weeds growing everywhere you pull them off at the top, they're still going to grow and actually probably get worse. Right. Exactly. Until you really dig down there and like get in and, and pull out those, those deep rooted weeds and then put in some new soil. Yes. It's a really good analogy. Yeah. I think for me, I'm going to touch on two. Uh, one is just going to be around physical touch. And then the other is just going to be, I think one that a lot of people can relate to, which is where, Maybe you've had a traumatic experience with someone else and, you know, unlike your situation where you had a traumatic experience with someone, but it was someone completely different in the future. What happens in your body though, when you actually see that same person, because, you know, you can do all you want to remove yourself from an environment. Maybe it's through a breakup, ending of a friendship, estrangement from a family member, whatever it is, but at some point you may cross paths and what happens if that's still like an unhealed wound within you. Mm. So I want to go back to the first piece. And again, just a trigger warning uh, for anyone who has suffered like physical abuse, whether that be in a relationship with a parent, I am going to talk not in detail and at length, but about that. And so if that is something that you are not ready for, like Christina said earlier, please fast forward. But again, this may also aid you in your healing journey if you're feeling like you're ready for for that piece. So I think many listeners know uh, my childhood story, but I was predominantly raised by my mom who, you know, by all means, like from the outside was like a good person, like had a business, successful, you know, we were clothed, fed, all of those things. But in many ways, she was both like emotionally, but also physically quite abusive when she was triggered or stressed specifically with me, which again, it's so funny. Now we're talking about the roots. It actually had really little to do with me and it had everything to do with the sort of environment she grew up in and the things that were Mm -hmm. passed on to her. Right. So talk about like generational cycle breakers and all of that stuff. But that aside, um, yeah, my childhood was pretty scary. Like my friends would refer to her, like how they would describe her as very strict and scary. Um, And so growing up in that, you know, my nervous system went into full like fight, flight, freeze. Like I think I lived in survival my entire life, probably up until this year. But again, I think like many listeners, I did the talk therapy. I worked through it. I put that in the past. I left my relationship with her when I was an adult and had the choice to do that because it was just too toxic, like only on an emotional level when I became an adult. However, what I noticed was in all my past relationships, you know, whether that be friendships or intimate ones, like physical touch is something that scares me. 
And so just to give some examples, like if a friend like goes to hug me, I, I can hug someone. I enjoy a hug. But, you know, like those friends like that, like hug you for a little bit extra because like they're like, you know, they're like their physical touch is probably their love language. I'm looking at you, Christina. <laughs> Brooks Do, I another... Do I hug you extra? That's so funny. You hug me I, extra. I was going to say my sister is like a big long hugger. So that's so funny that you said I'm a long hugger. I love that. Well, you're not like overly long, but longer. <laughs> you're like, okay, let go of me. <laughs> and so, yeah, like over the course of my life, I kind of noticed like, that's weird. Like that I begin to feel uncomfortable, not like, oh, I, I'm scared of this person, but like just something in my body starts like, you know, like a little head twitch, like, okay, I'm starting to feel something odd here, mm-hmm. even though I love this person that's hugging me. And then in intimate relationships, yes, I like intimacy, but there's definitely moments where you know, dependent on what's going on, I I can feel like this block go up. Or even as an example, like my husband, like physical touch is one of his love languages. And when he walks in the door, my first reaction is not to go and embrace him because it's obviously something I just thought for the longest time that physical touch just wasn't something I was really that into. But digging deeper, getting to the root of it, I realized that I feel that in my body when that happens. It's not a think, right? Because I think like, no, I like physical touch. Like, you know, I have kids, I hug them. Like I kiss my husband, like those sorts of things. I realized that it's my body, again, going back to that database and being like, for years, physical touch was not safe for us. Mm. My mom didn't embrace me in a loving manner for the most part. It was like a backhand to the face or throwing something at my head or kicking me on the floor. And so my body, even though in my cognitive brain, I'm like, yeah, hugs for everyone. It is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We are getting way too close to people here. This is absolutely like survival 101. This is dangerous. And so it was just very interesting. I've had to do a lot of somatic work around that, like re-experiencing those really traumatic, abusive experiences with her because that is what's holding this kind of physical block in in my body when someone physically connects with me. I'd even notice it like people coming around a corner, like my startle response is through the roof. Like if someone comes up behind me, I'm an instant screamer. And everyone's like, oh, you're so jumpy. And I could never understand like, yeah, why am I jumpy? Mm. And then I realized it's all tied back to this trauma that I th- I have healed, like I've moved on emotionally from it, but my body is still keeping score. Like our body was abused and now anyone else physically touching it feels like reminiscent of that. Yeah. And so it's just, it's a long journey when I'm still on, but yeah, just really interesting for anyone else who has like suffered at the hands of someone else. It is an imprint that lasts until you begin to really activate it. I mean, number one, also makes sense why you like to have control because if you had somebody that was so unpredictable growing Mm -hmm. up right no wonder like you like to have that control I feel like every human wants control but for you (laughs) especially like you and and I think you and I have come a long ways from that in our like just our our healing has naturally allowed us to release more of that control yeah but it makes me think of that like even just you know the mind goes to work finding control when the body may not feel it Mm -hmm. you know absolutely and just the the last piece I wanted to share with everyone was you know trauma where again perhaps you've gone through something with somebody specifically and you know maybe you've like 
sent them forgiveness in whatever way that looks like for you, or you've removed yourself from being friends with them or, um, you know, estranged from that family member, whatever it is. But then you see them and your body, similar to what Christina described with her physiotherapist, literally goes into like freeze mode and you you feel frozen in the moment and you feel this huge change in your body. So this happened for me about a month ago, you know, again, with my story, my husband had an affair with a close friend of mine and, you know, believe it or not, I have like forgiven both of them in my own way. Uh, but obviously like we only have energy for so much. And so like that friend is no longer a part of my life. And I still, when I think about her, I actually do think of like how much love I had and still do have for her and like wish her the best in her life. And I don't think of her as like a scary thing or a scary person. And so it was really interesting for me about a, a couple of weeks ago, like our paths cross like physically in person, um, like from a distance. But I thought to myself, yeah, like I've healed through this. I've, you know, given forgiveness, done lots of like visualization and understanding about like how that happened, like that infidelity piece that it had nothing to do with me, yada, yada, yada. However, when that experience happened to me, it was very visceral, even though it was more of an emotional trauma, right? Betrayal. And I still remember like finding out and like the feelings coursing through my body, like adrenaline, shaky hands, like hyperventilating because it was like my life was one way one minute and the next minute it was completely dismantled. It was the most shocking experience I had ever been through. And so when I saw her again, just from a distance, I thought, okay, logical brain, like we're just going to breathe. Like it's good. We're good. And within 20 seconds, the shaking began. I started sweating. I could feel like my heart palpitating out of my chest. And it showed me in that moment, even though I was already beginning to do somatic work, how much more work I still had to do there. Mm -hmm. Because I, even though I actually had probably a split second to access my logical brain due to all the work that I've been doing, my body is still imprinted that that is a threat, that is dangerous. Um, That person I associate with that feeling I had in that experience. And it was so visceral, like my whole day was kind of shot after that because like, it's like you were trembling. I was trembling for like hours. And so it's definitely a journey because you're literally having to retrain your nervous system and sort of excavate out whatever that experience is and reprogram it, process it at the same time. And, you know, that was just one isolated incident and I have a lot of work to do on it, you know, and I think that that dependent on how upsetting to your life that traumatic experience was also probably dictates the amount of work you're going to have to put in to get to the root and really process it and allow it to move through you. Yeah. You know, when I hear you talk about that experience, it makes me think about how we have these expectations of ourselves to like, okay, just get healed or just like Mm -hmm. figure it out or we're good here. But like, if there's one thing I'm really learning it's giving my body a chance to catch up with my mind. That's right. That's been like the most important piece here Um, because my mind right away is like, here's the solution. Okay. We're good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, and you, you've really helped me a lot with this too, is like reminding me to take that 24 hours 
or whatever it looks like to allow my body to process whatever it is that I'm experiencing, or maybe the decision I need to make or the action I need to take. It's like, give your body time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's something like the body takes three to seven times longer than our Mm. prefrontal cortex brain to catch up to whatever it is. So absolutely. And I think that also means being patient on the healing process too, because it's, it's not as easy as talk therapy. Yeah, no. And it doesn't end. Sorry, guys. Just a little tip here is that it doesn't end. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We just get better at figuring it out is how I like to see it. I hope for everybody listening, that's kind of just a, a few examples there of for Tess and I, how it's really started to show up or how it has shown up in our bodies and what that experience has been like for both of us. I mean, we could probably go on forever talking about different experiences, but just to give everybody an idea of, of what that can look like or feel like. And I'm sure if you're listening, you've probably also experienced that. So maybe take a minute after this podcast and reflect on that a little bit, like what was your body trying to communicate to you there? And then it might be nice for us to kind of segue into what is somatic work now, because this is something that you and I have found very impactful on our journeys. And we've kind of explored this in different ways, which has been really cool because we have our own sort of separate experiences that come together to kind of create this umbrella for both of us. You know, I've really dug into work with a somatic therapist, and then I've also been kind of moving through my own certification with this. We've both done breath work. You've started to do EMDR. Um, So, you know, essentially what is somatic work and how can this help people in terms of their own journeys? To start here, I think it would be nice to kind of just define what is somatic work before we dig into the different types that have helped you and I along our way. So if you're kind of wondering what all of this is in terms of somatic work, somatic therapy, somatic experiencing, all of that, this is any practice that uses your mind-body connection to help you survey your internal self and listen to signals your body sends about areas of pain, discomfort, or imbalance. So for me, in terms of my somatic work experiencing, like this has started for me with a therapist and I have been working with her since I would say the spring quite consistently. I was going, you know, once a week for three or four months there. I've now kind of started to do biweekly or every three weeks. And what this would look like was I would meet with her And we'd kind of just give a rundown of things that were going on for me. And she'd really just let me guide myself into what needed to be felt into. And we'd maybe start, or I'd maybe start talking about an experience or a memory or a challenge that I was going through. And what she has allowed me to do, first and foremost, is stay in my body while I was experiencing that. Because so often we have this habit to go into our heads, to tell a story, to feel into a negative belief, to go into a thought pattern, right? And oftentimes as well, this is where disassociation can start to happen as well if you are re-experiencing trauma. Um, So she would really get me to pay attention to my body. What What are you experiencing in your body right now? Where are you experiencing that? What does that look like? What does that feel like? What is it communicating to you? Really, so so really starting to keep me present and grounded in my body and then continue to at a slow pace at whatever pace I needed to go, continue to experience whatever that was. And, 
you know, the big piece here was showing my body that it was safe to move through this energy, to not feel like I had to exit out of my body and really kind of, you know, the best way I can explain this is move through the trauma loop, right? Mm-hmm. Is like not just start to experience it, but stay in it and almost reprogram it so I could make a full circle. Because what I started to realize was through a lot of my trauma is that I would experience it, but I couldn't process it. So I would get stuck in it. And then it would, it would get put somewhere in my subconscious brain or whatever you call that. Right. And so this was about going back to some of these experiences that, you know, might be triggered by something I was currently experiencing and move through that loop and create that flow and Mm -hmm. experience that healing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a good point to talk about that. Like when trauma is inflicted on us, like trauma itself isn't the event, it's the response, right? Which is our body is overwhelmed by what we're experiencing, that it shuts down. Mm -hmm. So even in the moment of trauma, you actually can't fully experience it if you're in like freeze state, let's say, like Mm -hmm. you're you're disconnected, disassociated. Although the implicit memory of that stays in our body. So it's so important, like what you're saying, to go back and complete that loop. Yeah. which can be really hard for people. And I wonder like for you, have you ever in somatic experiencing had to deal with a specific incident um, multiple times because you haven't been able to close that loop? Like I don't want people thinking like, oh, every session you go and you just oh, fully yeah. complete your cycle on, you know, your major no. childhood trauma. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. So two pieces I want to mention there. Number one, there have often been many sessions where I go into freeze and mm-hmm. she this is where like the skill of your practitioner is really important because she can see through my body cues right away when I'm in freeze. And so she'll, you know, maybe get me to transition out and do an exercise with me that allows me to move up sort of the ladder of trauma response to more of like a fight or flight. So Mm -hmm. I can at least get some of that energy moving and be out of that survive, like that, that really deep survival state. Um, So there's that piece I wanted to mention is like, sometimes that happens where it like really takes us on sort of a side journey to even get my body feeling safe enough to be there. And then the other piece is we've had to actually revisit my parents' divorce multiple times and so many different facets of it. Like I've had to really look at a lot of memories around, um, you know, like I moved around a lot with my mom. Uh, and, and also lived with my dad through that time as well. But like a lot of the different experiences I had, even seeing my mom in relationships and that it was hard for me to kind of process what was going on with my mom and my dad, because nothing was being said to me. And like, I was kind of forced to try to make my own understanding from it and just seeing, and I think, you know, children are really energetic beings. I'm sure I was a teenager, but still very open to their energy Mm -hmm. and to, to be taking in that energy and not really know or, or have help creating meaning around what was going on. It's been a big part of my somatic therapy practice to go back to some of those pieces because mm. they definitely play a part in. Um, and again, here's this piece of like recreating stuff to heal through it. Like I look at the separation from Brad this last year and I really have almost created my own container for healing because so many of these pieces that I saw my mom and dad experience, I'm experiencing directly with my separation with Brad. Yeah. And I've really had to 
heal through a lot of that and reprogram a lot of the trauma that I experienced through my parents' divorce. I'm so glad you brought up that example, um, your parents' divorce, because, you know, earlier in this episode, we talked about some, you know, what most people on the scale of trauma would consider like, wow, that's major trauma. Again, you can't compare your trauma. And this is exactly why I just want to bring this up is that if you're thinking, well, I didn't experience like sexual physical abuse, like, or a major traumatic event, like an affair or a car accident that like almost killed you, that kind of stuff. Something what, you know, is almost mainstream these days, a parental divorce that can have major lasting impacts on a child. And it's not to say that you don't do it. Mm -hmm. I think it's about your experience of it. It had nothing really to do with your parents actually separating. It was the lack of communication. Um, You know, you, again, going back to some of our earlier podcasts where kids believe they are the source of all things, right? If you don't give them meaning to put to something, they will blame themselves for it. And so I think this is just a really good example too, for anyone listening. That's like, well, I haven't really experienced anything. I don't think I need to do some work. Like it can be something like, you know, even what feels like a peaceful divorce. But again, if like communication isn't there, if you're not being open to holding space for your kids to kind of tell you how they're feeling about or with their confusion, this all gets stored in the body. And then it comes out later in the wash yeah, and not in the same way necessarily. Like, yes, okay. Now you're experiencing a separation, but just like what you experienced in that container was then also the way you began to handle some of your relationships as an adult. Right. And it's just so important to see those connections that it doesn't have to be this like catastrophic thing. We'd all categorize as traumatic. It can be something like that, which had a major impact on you. As you've said, you've had to revisit this specific experience multiple times. Yeah. And a hundred percent. And sometimes that even just looked like, you know, when I was in re-experiencing something in my body, sometimes it just looked like a conversation that needed to be had where I was explained something better by my dad or, or, you know, my parents being there being like, yeah, this isn't about you guys. This is our own stuff. And, you know, and, and that's actually made, and this is for any parents who are listening that maybe you're going through a separation or you've had a divorce and you're like, well, how do I not traumatize my kid? Well, first off, we're all going to traumatize our kids in some way, but just have conversations with them, you know, and that's been a big piece of like my journey with Max and Zoe through this separation is when they want to talk about it, we talk about it and they know that it's not about them. And, or at least I try to explain to them as best as I can, that it's, it has nothing to do with them. And, you know, it's interesting. Like I even had a conversation with Brad yesterday. It was a really good one. And we said, I think we're doing a pretty good job here. And it just like, you know, this isn't to say there's no problems, no challenges, but I can honestly say that from my experience with my parents' divorce, I am doing things differently. And this isn't to say my parents didn't do a good job. They did their best and I love them so much. And, you know, this isn't to take anything away from that, but I think this is the whole point is that we learn more as we grow and being the next generation, we do better, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've done some somatic experiencing as well. And and one of the pieces I just wanted to highlight uh, without necessarily going into my experience of it was that <clears throat> something I learned really early on. And it is, it's, again, when we talk about that nervous system dysregulation or being stuck there, somatic experiencing really is 
is a tool to open that window of your nervous system dysregulation. So when you've been traumatized in some way, imagine it's like you start your nervous system is like a big open window and there's lots of room for triggers or stimuli to come in, but like it doesn't really dysregulate us. We kind of just carry on with our day. Our amygdala doesn't get um, activated. We don't feel, you know, our heart rate, our, our breathing increase or anything. But as trauma happens, that window almost slams shut. Again, dependent on how often it happened, how traumatic it was for our body. Mm-hmm. And so what somatic experiencing really does is it it cracks that window. And every time we do it, it creates more bandwidth. So that window gets more open and more open so that again, it's not forgetting the trauma. It's not that you'll never be triggered again. It just creates a greater allowance for you. So even in like my example I gave, like, so now that I've been doing the work, when someone hugs me, I don't necessarily freeze up. If it's like an extra long hug, maybe still, but if it's just like an average long hug, I'm fine. (laughs) So just like as an example, like that's also, I think one of the critical roles that, that it, that it does. It really, it's like your nervous system is this muscle and and we're we're bringing it to physiotherapy and we're we're allowing it to heal but we're re-strengthening it by opening it up a bit so that you're not stuck in this fight or flight getting triggered constantly because of the trauma you experienced in the past. Yeah. And and so what you're saying is is I should hug you for like 10 minutes now yeah, to help 10. you open up that We're going to increase it a minute a minute every time. <laughs> Um, but no, in, in seriousness, I remember having this conversation with my somatic therapist because I was moving through, like I had done some really good, I was starting to notice I was doing some really good work and feeling more healed in certain triggering situations. And then all of a sudden I, it's like, I hit a wall and I went and like our session, I was like, what's going on? And she's like, Oh, well, you're, 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 um, like flexing your window. Like it's, Mm. it's stretching, but you have to remember that, like, like anything, it's not linear. You're going to feel like it's weight, like it's ebb and flow. So you're going to pull back a little bit to feel a little bit safe again. And then you'll stretch a little bit mm-hmm. more. She's like, so it's not that you're going backwards. It, it might just mean that the wave is like ebbing a little bit before you're ready to flow out a little bit more. So, yes. And actually just one other thing I wanted to add to that I learned in my somatic experiencing therapy was that So for me, again, taking that physical touch piece, if when someone went to like hold me or maybe it was like an intimate moment and like I felt that uncomfortableness in my body by not verbalizing it and giving myself space. So like giving myself that bit of that window. And if I just push through it, like Tess, you're fine. Someone's just hugging you and they're an extra long hugger. What happens is by me not creating a physical or energetic boundary with them, my body will create the boundary within myself. So my Mm. body will absorb that and be like, okay, we're going to intensify that feeling every time. So, you know, when we're like, oh, maybe it's like you need to voice something. Someone's really speaking down to you or something, but you just, you can't find the nerve to do it. You just feel it's going to be awkward. You're going to sever this connection between them and you just allow it. And then you find yourself in this kind of like thought loop or talk loop with like a negative person. Maybe it's at work that you have to experience all the time. What will happen is then every time you see that person, your body is going to go, ooh, ooh, and it's going to get worse and worse and worse within your body. Cause your body is like, you're not putting in the boundary. We need you to. So what she said is basically like, instead of you just doing the boundary, your body will create a boundary within you. And so when we talk about like 
the trauma festering and getting worse and worse before it's like a geyser blowing up. That's kind of what happens. Mm -hmm. I love that piece. And it's really good. I think also for people to be aware of because pay a bit closer attention to your body and how it's communicating to you in certain situations and with certain people, I think is an important thing to take from that. Yeah. Um, I think I wanted to touch on EMDR as well, which Mm -hmm. is something I've been experiencing, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. So typically this therapy is used, it's definitely still talk therapy, but very much like, again, in your body, like what are you experiencing when you go back and visit maybe a traumatic incident? It's it's widely used with people with PTSD um, and actually betrayal and fidelity trauma it has very similar markers to PTSD. Um, So for anyone listening that maybe has experienced that, you know, you could be like washing your dishes and then all of a sudden this like intrusive thought just like comes into your head and like your mouth's on the floor and your heart rate starts hyperventilating. Similar to what we see in movies where like soldiers come back from war, even though that seems more traumatic. Again, trauma is not the actual incident. It's the overwhelming response from our body that we just can't process. And so EMDR through this eye movement puts you in this very like meditative state and allows you to access uh, similar memories uh, that are in your subconscious that Christina was talking about with her somatic experiencing. And so it just allows you to find memories or pieces of memories that you maybe have not remembered. And again, it's not forgetting the memory. It's reprocessing and giving it different meaning. Mm-hmm. And I find to EMDR, it it kind of takes the, ed- the emotional edge off of it because you get to go back. And as an example, for me, my first session, I did this moment where um, I guess I had told my mom I was going out for a dog walk. She must have not heard me. So she went looking for me everywhere. I came home. She was furious. You know, that led to physical abuse, like being kicked across the kitchen floor multiple times. And I just remember that. That's the part of the memory I remembered. But when I went back and processed it, there was all these other pieces, like my dog, like sitting with me in the bed, like, and like looking at his eyes and like how like sweet and like caring I felt in that moment with him. My brother, like checking on me after, whereas like I had forgotten all those pieces. So although I still remember the trauma of the incident, I now have these like kind of, you know, nicer feeling pieces that I also associate with that memory. And it takes the edge off of it. Mm. Just as an example, like, and that's just really the surface of like what that type of therapy can do. But I would definitely recommend that for someone who's been, you know, in like some major traumatic accident or a repetitive type of experience, like, like I had had, it, it works very well um, for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love this piece of taking the edge off of it because I think there is something to be said about again we can't erase our trauma we can't take it away but we do need to be able to find a way to not only approach it but be with it and create new meaning from it and so for you to be able to associate some of those pieces Mm -hmm. I think I could see I could even just imagine I've got a couple people in mind where something like that would almost make it also feel a bit more approachable, yeah. you know, like, like just this big thing. It's like, okay, but here, here are also some softer ways to be with it, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty moving when you, when you're able to do that. And I think too, while we're on this subject, 
some somatic therapies don't work for some people. And I think yeah. that's also a really cool um, experience for Christine and I that we've both gone into somatic therapy and just naturally um, gravitated towards different things. Every Different therapies are not necessarily going to work for you. So it's really important if you try something and you're like, that just really wasn't for me, you keep mm-hmm. trying other forms of it because our bodies are also different. Our trauma is also different. And so different things are going to speak to your body differently than others. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so to add to that, so we've talked about somatic experiencing that's really helped me. EMDR has really helped tests. We both have also found a lot of success through breath work. Mm-hmm. Uh, tests actually just got breath work certification. Yay. Yeah. Um, and then also tapping is something else that I also really do a lot. I actually haven't done it too much lately, but I think it could be helpful now that I think about it. Um, and we talked about this in a past episode as mm-hmm. well. So there's lots of different avenues that you can start to go down in terms of looking at how you might want to approach some of your trauma, how you might want to support yourself better through it, dig into your healing on a deeper level. There's lots of different options out there. And so I would say that if you are listening to all of this and you still don't really know what to do or where to go, definitely contact Tess or I. You can find Tess on her social media at Her Unearthed on Instagram and TikTok. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Christina.SoulEmpowered. And I will say also that somatic experiencing is something that I've started to do with my clients as well. So if this is something that you're interested in, reach out. We are always here to help you and support you. And we're just grateful that you've listened to this episode because it was an important one. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye.